Testing, testing. One, two, one, two. Welcome to Random Ramblings. Hello. Thank you, Internet, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And welcome to Random Ramblings. Uh, my name is Gemma. I'm going to be the person you get to listen to for the next however long. Um, and I hope you enjoy whatever this turns out to be. This is my first time doing a podcast, so apologies in advance for the chaotic mess this is going to be. I guess I'll introduce myself a little bit. Uh, as I've said, my name's Gemma. I'm currently a master's student at the University of Birmingham. I study English literature, I like musical theatre, D&D, reading, like video games, uh, what else? This is like every icebreaker at university and college where you forget everything you've ever done in your life. Um, so yeah, those are the highlights I guess. Uh, I'm not an exciting person but I do enjoy what I do, so let me tell you what this podcast is going to be on. Sandal Stories have done a 10-week course where some people, like myself, are able to have a crash course, I guess, in how to create and make and everything that goes into a podcast. And it's been great. It's been really interesting. Genuinely a great experience. Um, I was really good at coming up with individual episodes of one-offs, but I had issues connecting things so it would create a series, so there'd be a thread. And so I kind of realised just before creating this, that why not be upfront and kind of go, if I made a podcast, it would very much be dictated by what I wanted to talk about. And that would be incredibly random. Hence, random ramblings. Each episode is just me rambling about one specific topic. Hopefully, uh, in a longer series, I'd bring in other people to discuss things and talk about things and learn things. But I figured this one, this could just be me talking about something I like. And and one of the things I am incredibly passionate about was the subject of my undergraduate dissertation, which I spent a year on, uh, so I know a fair bit amount, not lots, but I know a bit. And that is the love of my life, my very reason for existing, Emily Dickinson. Um, so I discovered Emily Dickinson in my second year of university, and since then, I did make her my entire personality for a good two years. Um, <laughs> I wrote my undergraduate dissertation on her, so I had, I was spending a lot of time researching this woman very in-depth, um, reading lots of letters, her poetry. Like, I do not think I know anyone better than I know Emily Dickinson at this point. So I thought uh, for the first episode, I would talk about her, who I know so much about. So why Emily Dickinson? Um, so I am, I'm queer, um, I very much enjoy English literature, and something I think anyone who has studied English literature, history, anything looking at people will know is that queer people are not looked at as much as straight people, which that makes sense, there's not as many historical people that we know are queer to look at, but queer men are looked at. Um, there's a few names like Oscar Wilde, every, every single Every single course everywhere will have at least something about Oscar Wilde um, because it's Oscar Wilde. He's, he's the most famous gay person ever. But the thing is, 
it's a it's an acknowledged fact and it's a discussed thing when you look at Oscar Wilde that he was he was gay, bisexual, whichever label. He was not straight. However, women and their sexuality tend to be overlooked and it's always kind of seen as taboo to talk about for some reason. And so as a queer woman, I was very interested in finding these queer women who, of course, existed, despite what male historians will tell you, um, and exploring their writing and like almost finding out why they were or were not kind of read as queer. So second year of university, module on 19th century American literature, and I had one week on Emily Dickinson. And for this one week, I was Googling her, just seeing what came up, and a video of Hayley Steinfeld reading one of Emily Dickinson's poems came up, and I fell in love, both with Hayley Steinfeld as well as Emily Dickinson. Um, And I will read this poem because it's what got me into Emily Dickinson, and I think everyone should be able to experience Emily's poems. I apologise because I will definitely not do this poem the justice it deserves. But I hope uh, you go away, you read it, and you read some more poems at the very least. So, Wild Nights by Emily Dickinson. Wild nights, wild nights, were I with thee. Wild nights should be our luxury. Futile the winds to a heart in port. Done with the compass, done with the chart. Rowing in Eden, ah, the sea. Might I but more tonight in thee. So a very um, interesting poem, Um, but it's what introduced me. It was the first poem of Dickinson's that I read, that I heard. And from there, I, like Alice, jumped down the rabbit hole and am yet to return. Um, So that was how I discovered Emily Dickinson. Um, I was kind of passively aware that this person called Dickinson existed. I didn't really know anything about her, so... I went from nothing to everything very quickly. So I guess for people that don't know, uh, Emily Dickinson was born in 18... We should know this. 1830 uh, in Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh, She died 55 years later, or at the age of 55. Uh, She had a father, Edward Dickinson, who was a politician and lawyer. He had his own law firm. And her mother, Emily Norcross Dickinson, who was stay-at-home mother, wife, very typical for that era. Um, She had an older brother called William Austin Dickinson, who was referred to as Austin, um, and a younger sister called Lavinia Norcross Dickinson. Uh, Austin was the only one who married. Um, He had three children. Um, Only one of those survived with his wife, Susan Gilbert Dickinson. And she lived a very ordinary life. She had some issues. Um, Her sight was something that she struggled with and she saw doctors about. It's not quite certain what happened with her later in life, because we weren't there. But she ended up confining herself to her room a lot. Um, And that's really, I think, all the strictly necessary information about her, like, biographically speaking. So she was was a writer. She was was a poet. She didn't have a job. She stayed at home. She was a part of the community, but she was isolated uh, a little bit. Her family and friends knew she wrote. She wrote to family and friends in letters. She wrote a lot to her sister-in-law, Susan, which we will get to later. Um, 
so nobody was surprised after her death when they found poems however after her death Lavinia discovered a trunk of poems where there was like almost 2,000 poems and like she'd created little booklets of like better drafted poems so it was like she was almost making her own books of poems of verse and so just the amount that was discovered after her death led Lavinia her sister to go after publishing of publishing her sister's work um and at first they were given to Susan who was very close to Emily Uh, they lived next door to each other the Dickinson household that like Austin Emily and Lavinia grew up in ended up being next to the house that or Austin moved to once he married Sue. Um, and so they were given to Sue initially, but it, amongst other things, she was taking too long for Lavinia's liking. So she gave them to Thomas H. Johnson and Mabel Lewis Todd. And this is where the story begins. It's so interesting. You'd think that Emily Dickinson, 19th century writer, America, small town, not much interesting. So much interesting, my life. So, after her death, her poems were eventually given to Mabel Lewis Todd and Thomas H. Johnson. Johnson isn't as relevant to this conspiracy um, regarding Emily Dickinson. Todd, however, is. So, I mentioned that Emily was very close with Sue. Some would say, I would say, they were not just close. They weren't, they weren't just gal pals. Um they were incredibly romantic. There's one of the issues whenever you study historical women is that if you label them as sapphic, um, so a woman who loves another woman, the immediate backbite is, well, what's your evidence? What's your proof? There's no proof that they were physical. Um, firstly, you don't have to be physical to love someone, to be to have romantic feelings for them. And secondly, this idea of proof is very peculiar. Like the obsession with proof once you decide to question historical figure sexuality because the only proof um, we have of straight people's sexuality is the children, which, as you know, these days doesn't prove much because um, gay people can have children with people of the opposite sex because that was it that's expected of them. And especially more so these days where what what could women do? You, you, women couldn't run off and live together unless they were both very well off and had the means to. So it, they had to marry so that they could live, which often would mean marrying a man. And like that was, that was the thing. So like this whole idea of proof is very frustrating. Anyway, sidetrack. So Emily and Sue were very close. Like Emily wrote the letters that remain that we still have. Emily wrote the most letters to Sue than anyone else in her life. Um, and one of these letters, um, I was on a train to visit a friend uh, while I was working on my dissertation, and I was reading this book, Open Me Carefully, uh, by Ellen Louise Hart and Martha Nelsmith, who Martha Nelsmith has written so much about Dickinson and Sue. It, it's amazing, genuinely. If you are interested in this, Google Martha Nelsmith. You will find many, many books and articles about it. it it's really useful and interesting. So I was on this train reading this book. I had to put this book down and message my friend because the idea that these letters, I will read you a few now, um, or one now, the idea that these letters are read by people and it's like, oh, they were such good friends. Oh, like, look how close these two women were. They were such great friends. Is absurd. Like, 
genuinely ridiculous that any of this can be read straight literally literally is straight it's incredibly queer incredibly romantic quite sexual as well like very intimate so this is a letter um from emily to sue uh it's written on a friday afternoon and it's a relatively long one but but it's it's a good one so let's begin i have but one thought susie this afternoon of june and that of you and i've one prayer only dear susie that is for you that you and i in hand as we even do in heart might ramble away as children among the woods and fields and forget these many fears and these sorrowing cares and each become a child again i would it were so susie and when i look around me and find myself alone i sigh for you again little sigh and vain sigh which will not bring you home i need you more and more and the great world grows wider and dear ones fewer and fewer every day that you stay away. I miss my biggest heart, my own goes wandering around, and calls for Susie. Friends are too dear to sunder, oh, they are far too few, and how soon they will go away, where you and I cannot find them. Don't let us forget these things, for their remembrance now will save us many an anguish when it is too late to love them. Susie, forgive me, darling, for every word I say, my heart is full of you, none other than you in my thoughts yet when i seek to say to you something not for the world words fail me if you were happy and oh that you were my susie we need not talk at all our eyes would whisper for us and your hand fast in mine we would not ask for language i tried to bring you nearer i chase the weeks away till they are quite departed and fancy you have come and i am on my way through the green lane to meet you and my heart goes scampering so that I have much ado to bring it back again and learn it to be patient till that disusy comes. Three weeks, they can't last always, for surely they must go with their little brothers and sisters to their long home in the West. I shall grow more and more impatient until that dear day comes, for till now I have only mourned for you. Now I begin to hope for you. Yeah, um, incredibly straight letter, um very obvious that they were really just they were just friends like there's nothing in there to indicate that there were anything more um you know <laughs> dear susie darling it just was between friends really um i do find it hilarious sometimes the um the excuse of oh friends just wrote to each other differently in those days trust me um they did not that this this is gay this is this is very queer this is um not straight this is not between two sisters uh despite what some people may say obviously you, you can read the letters for yourself there's um online archives um, archive.emilydickinson.org has a lot of them please go and if, if this is of interest you please go read them because just so i'm not the only one reading these letters crying to myself about how misinterpreted they were by historians but so there we go letter it's up to you to decide so yeah there we go that that's a letter so why is this relevant well i mean that on its own i think is very clear that emily and sue were not just friends and this is relevant because sue was married to emily's brother austin which in itself is incredibly interesting and I wish we had more letters from all of them and like kind of I'd love to be a fly on the wall and just know 
if Austin knew, if like what was known, what was not known, all of it. Really interesting. Anyway, so Sue was in love with Emily. Emily was in love with Sue. How reciprocated it was, we're not entirely sure. We believe, like, his people within this field that research it do believe that Sue reciprocated simply from one letter we have of Sue's as well as just the volume Emily sent to Sue. Like, you don't know, obviously. But that's personal opinion. So Emily and Sue, at least, at the very least, bare minimum, were writing each other letters romantically. Austin was married to Sue. However, Austin had a mistress. And this mistress's name was none other than Mabel Loomis Todd. Shock horror. Um, so when these poems of Emily's after her death were given to Mabel Loomis Todd, there was no mention of Sue. The poems that were written to Sue, uh, the letters that were written to Sue, were all left out, ignored from early editions. Some were even misgiven. So poems and letters and the like that were sent to Sue were attributed to someone else, another one of Emily's friends, like inaccurately. And we know this because one of these online archives, um, archive.emilydickinson.org. I don't know exactly what they did. I don't know, like, I don't know exactly how they know the science behind it, but they were able to, they were just, they discovered that there were erasures on these letters, um, on these notes, the, the manuscripts that, that are held, where Sue's name was written on the back of letters, on the back of poems, all of this. And they would erased, they were gotten rid of, which begs the question, well, who would, who would get rid of Sue? Why, why would you get rid of someone that Emily was really close to? And the theory um, among some scholars, I am one of these, is that Mabel, uh, Austin's mistress, was not a fan of Sue. She, she did not like Sue. The mistress did not like the wife, funnily enough. Um, very surprising. And so when she had this opportunity to create Emily Dickinson's legacy, she erased Sue quite literally from manuscripts, from letters, poems, all, all of that. She erased the fact that Emily and Sue were romantic. And... Some poems, some of Emily's most famous poems we only have because Sue had copies, because they were written to Sue about Sue, and Mabel raised them. And like the whole page, we, we have two of them. We have two versions. And one of them is entirely inked over. And so it like, is an unreadable. Uh, you, you wouldn't be able to read it, but the only reason we can is because of technology. And also because we have another version one that was sent to Susan. One sister have I in the house. Yeah, I'll read for you so you can understand. One sister have I in our house, and one a hedge away. There's only one recorded, but both belong to me. One came the road that I came and wore my last year's gown. The other as a bird her nest builded our hearts among. She did not sing as we did, it was a different tune. Herself to her a music as bumblebee of June. Today is far from childhood, but up and down the hills, I held her hand the tighter, which shortened all the miles. And still her hum the years among deceives the butterfly. Still in her eye the violets lie, moulded this many May. I spilt the dew, but took the morn. I chose this single star. From, art, from out the wide night numbers, sue forevermore. Signed, Emily. Now, I don't know why on earth Mabel Loomis Todd, who did not like Susan Gilbert, would want to erase this poem. It's very peculiar. In this book, uh, Open Me Carefully, the note is um, that Austin and Sue took a residence in the Evergreens, um, which this poem or this letter poem is believed to have been sent after they moved in. 
and it is not the only one where mentions of Sue are attempted to be destroyed or removed. And so this is that's the core of the conspiracy, um, that after her death, in the creation of her legacy, Mabel Lewis Todd, as well as uh, some people believe Austin Dickinson had a say and had a part in it, um, destroyed or attempted to destroy all mentions of Sue because of how important she was to Emily. And there is some understandability on Austin's part, at least, um, similar with how secrets or like evidence of their love is destroyed and hidden. Because at this point, it was seen as a taboo. It was it was not well welcomed. So Anne Lister is another example where she had these coded diaries. This It's incredible like how much she hid and how explicit the writing once uncoded is about the many dalliances she had with women and how much of a lesbian she was. Uh, she's, I think, called first English lesbian. And at some point, one of her descendants um, and his friend uncoded it, decoded it. And this friend allegedly wanted to burn these diaries, these books, because well, they were a stain on the on the reputation of the family. Like they showed that there was this this woman who was ill that was that was not right. Because if you've done any historical research into queer ness around the turn of the nineteenth century to the twentieth century, um, there was a lot of not propaganda, but there was a lot of psycho writing about how it was a deviance how it was an illness how being queer like so a man attracted to a man woman attracted to a woman it was wrong it was just it was disgusting all of this so when family members discovered these books of enlisters um there was that desire to burn them and get rid of them luckily they weren't and so we have them now and we've got the amazing tv show enlister but yeah so it was it was a big thing of these things were destroyed. Letters um, when Emily Dickinson was dying were often destroyed. We know that there were, there were a lot of letters from Sue that were burned because that was a request of Emily's, apparently. Again, we, we can't really know this because it's a second-hand account of someone saying that, oh, yes, Emily Dickinson wanted these letters burned. We don't have, like, have it in writing. That's what Emily wanted, but they were burned, which the, the letters burned are believed to be the ones that Sue sent back in response to her letters. But yeah, so that's, I guess, the origin of the conspiracy that after Emily Dickinson's death, her closeness with Sue was erased from the manuscripts, from the letters, um, f- from the publications. And it's only because of some scholars from the 60s onwards that we know that they existed. Uh, unfortunately, there's it's one of those of once a queer woman has been said to be queer like once it's like okay yeah it's accepted almost there's then not a lot so Emily Dickinson when queer theory and queer scholarship began there was lots of work on her like there was a lot of writing it's kind of died down now and it's it's seen as well yeah she was gay what about it It, it, it's it's very well you've proved it like the scholars have proved it now what else can you say which you, you again it's it's possibly a double standard between men and women because you don't look at Shakespeare and go oh well what else can you say about Shakespeare because there's so much left to say I think similar with Emily Dickinson I think there is a lot left to say especially if you read her poems as queer as much as her letters because she sent these letters and poems to Sue and she wasn't publishing these letters we, we have no true idea how much Emily wanted published so we can read them 
sort of biographically in the sense of this letter at the very least was intended to be read by someone she had romantic intentions for. So we can therefore read these poems as romantic declarations or at least declarations of some description. So it's hopefully um, with like after the TV show Dickinson um, and the lesbian renaissance that's going on right now between Anne Lister's TV show Dickinson and the lesbian vampire show that I'm very much looking forward to on Netflix. Um, I hope that more scholarship focused on queer women turns up because I think it'd be great, genuinely, I think. And I hope to be part of the generation that does more work and builds on what's already been done by previous scholars about um, queer women because they're still overlooked a lot. But yes, there you go. That was... (laughs) That's the first episode of Random Ramblings. Um, Emily Dickinson was queer and it was attempted to be hidden. Yeah, I guess that that's kind of it. it it's there's so much out there. Um, again, Martha Nell Smith, um, Ellen Louise Hart have written a lot. I can think of other people that have written a lot. So if you want to be do some Google, do some googling, please do. Um, Martha Dickinson Bianchi, who was actually Sue's daughter, um, who survived and ended up writing about Emily Dickinson. She's written stuff um, from like thirties. Um, bum bum bum. Yeah, the, the, there's there's people out there. Alinian Fadman's done some. Um, Judith Farr, um, Gilbert um, Gubar mentioned her in the Madeline in the Attic. Um, yeah, the, the, there's people out there. So if if it's something that interests you, please do some googling, do some searching because it like I've barely scratched the surface. Like this this just talking about Emily Dickinson could be an entire season of a podcast, but. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I hope at the very least somebody reads some poetry by Emily Dickinson that hasn't before. And yeah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope it made sense. And I hope you have an absolutely lovely day. Thank you very much. Bye.